0: Lovely to see you all this morning. uh, As Kate said, if you're new or visiting, it's really great to see you. Um, Do come and say hello to us. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to help connect you with this part of the body of Christ or any part of the body of Christ. Uh, If you've been around for a little while, if you can cast your mind back uh, a, a few months at least, and again, a few years A few months ago, when we sort of embarked on our series on justice, we looked again at what, over the years, we've called the four corners of Christianity. Uh, Scripture, salvation, signs and wonders, and spiritual or social justice. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you know, I mean, amongst many uh, other things, the the life of Jesus, Jesus, when you look at him, he embodies, perfectly embodies all, all four of these things. Jesus Uh, passionately demonstrates a commitment to all four of those things. And so today as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we turn our attention, we turn our hearts and our minds to the events of uh, Holy Week and the passion of uh, the Christ. The writer of Hebrews says in uh, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus who is the centerpiece of everything we believe, faithful in everything God gave him to do. And so uh, over this coming week, we have Easter services uh, coming up. We'll be meeting online on Good Friday at 10 a.m. You can find all the information for that on the website. And then we'll be back here at 10.30 on Easter Sunday a week today. Uh, As we celebrate Jesus, Uh, we're hoping to celebrate Easter Sunday with baptisms. Uh, So if any of you would like to be baptized, get in touch with Mike. We'd love to hear from you or if anyone you know would like to be baptized. um, We'd love to celebrate that on Easter Sunday. But as we turn our attention into Holy Week, we want to consider Jesus. Uh, To consider the one who stands at the very center of everything. To consider the one who lies at the very heart of all that it is that we are called to and all that it is that we're called to do. And as we begin this journey towards Easter, which for us begins this Palm Sunday, uh, I just wanted to start by reading a, a passage from the book of Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You have to love the scriptures. Uh, these are wonderful words from Isaiah. They're a prophecy. They're written some 800 years before the coming of Jesus. And they are pointing to and concerning the coming of the king. And the Old Testament is full of these kinds of prophecies. These signposts that are pointing ahead towards the coming of Jesus. All the, they're all pointing to this future age. A time that will come where, uh, when justice will be done, when the old order of things will pass away and the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God will finally be established forever and ever. And for the Jewish people, you know, they would read these words. They'd read these ancient scriptures and they would hope and they would pray and they would long for a time when things would reach their fulfillment, when all of the injustices of the world would be put right, much like us um, today. A time when the desert and the parched land would be glad, when the wilderness would rejoice and blossom. A time when the eyes of the blind would be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. A time when the lame would leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. See through uh, centuries of injustice, of oppression and uh, captivity, here was a people who knew that their God would come, that he would come with vengeance, that he would come with divine retribution, that he would come to save. And we find another one of these prophecies uh, in Zechariah uh, chapter uh, nine, verse nine. It's another one of these words, these signposts pointing towards uh, the coming of the king and the fulfillment of the age. And it says this uh, in in, in chapter nine, verse nine, rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem, look, Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. It goes on in verse 16 to say this. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. Now, fast forward, if you can, to first century Jerusalem. And if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Um, We'll start in verse 1. This is uh, Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet that we've just read. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on the colt When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Uh, Back in verses uh, two and three, it says that Jesus got off and said to the disciples, um, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find uh, this donkey, untie this donkey and bring, it to me and if if anyone asks you anything just say that uh, the Lord needs it and they will send it straight away and here you've got Jesus and the disciples they're traveling from Bethany uh, to uh, Jerusalem they're going to celebrate the uh, feast of Passover and and just outside of Jerusalem Jesus picks on two of the disciples uh, and tells them just go and get this donkey and you've got to admit it's a pretty random request. The way that Jesus uh, phrases it, it's, it's all a bit random. Uh, and it's a bit like, okay, Jesus, like, so you want me to walk into some little village uh, and steal a donkey, which in that day is sort of like, you know, nicking someone's Lamborghini. Uh, and that's all gonna be okay. Um, what's great about this, I think, is the way that the disciples respond. Uh, have a look at verse six. The disciples went and did what Jesus had instructed them, obviously. And the truth is, I think by now the poor disciples, they've been around Jesus for long enough to know that they shouldn't really second guess him and that it's quite likely that he's going to ask them to do something pretty random. Uh, is it random? Yes, it is random. We're used to it because we've read this so many times, but it's a strange request. Um, and what is their response? Well, it didn't really matter to them how random or how strange it was. They knew that their response to Jesus had to be, we better just do it. They're probably muttering under their breath to one another going, "God, oh, you go first. Having no real idea what they were doing, having no idea what this donkey is for, these guys just did what Jesus asked them to do. Uh, because the unexpected king, as Kate was referring to, um, The unexpected king comes to those of us who are responsive to him, to those who hear his voice, to those who follow his leading, to those who say, I have got no real idea what it is you're asking me to do right now, Jesus. It seems a little bit odd. As long as it doesn't actually involve stealing a Lamborghini, I think we should probably go and do it. You see it in people like Peter, he's, Peter the disciple, he spent all night fishing, he's caught nothing, uh, he lets down his, t- his nets one more time just because Jesus says so. Luke chapter 5 verse 5 says this, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything but because you say so, I will. The unexpected king comes to those who are responsive to him. And then there's the um, the particular way of the unexpected king. Have a look at verses four and five. This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughters Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's something very particular about the way in which Jesus chooses to enter Jerusalem this first Palm Sunday. On the one hand, he comes as this um, king. Absolutely. But the way he comes is is so unusual. It's so unexpected. He's not coming in. He's not riding in on this conquering, um, uh, like a conquering king, a conquering hero riding a war horse. This, the way Jesus, the messianic king, comes into Jerusalem, it, it's gentle. Verse 5, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And this word gentle, um, which is much more like humble or meek is actually rooted in the idea of um, affliction and oppression. It's often used throughout scripture to to describe the poor, to describe those who are actually and who find themselves at the wrong end of injustice. And so Jesus comes to Jerusalem not as the conquering hero, but as the king um, who is afflicted. Clearly a king, uh, but a king who so identifies with all of our pain and our afflictions and and our needs that he himself Chooses to come as a humble king, an afflicted king, as one who has and is going to suffer injustice. Uh, And in all, all of this, all of the way that this narrative is unfolding, you're getting the idea of how the kingdom of God is demonstrated, how the kingdom of God is expressed. Because the kingdom of God comes. Not from a position of power, not from a position of authority. The kingdom of heaven comes through humility and gentleness. The kingdom of God comes as um, one of you chooses to pray for one of your colleagues at work or at the school gate, or the kingdom of God comes as you serve on the food bank, or as you choose to serve refugees, or whoever it may be. The kingdom of God comes humbly and gently. So many of the parables you see throughout the New Testament, the parables about the kingdom that Jesus tells, they're about the hidden nature of the kingdom. And so the kingdom, kingdom is described as treasure hidden in a field. It's not obvious. The kingdom of God comes through a baby born in a stable. It's not obvious. The kingdom of heaven comes through the king riding on a donkey. It's not obvious. And the, king, the kingdom of God comes uh, through the death of a king, the King Jesus, on a cross. It's the particular way of this unexpected king. But what's the purpose of this unexpected king? Have a look at verses 6 onwards. The disciples uh, go and they did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. This large crowd gathers and they spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that go ahead of Jesus and those that followed shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So the disciples come back with this donkey, and and that's when it all kind of kicks off. That's when it all happens. Some people put their coats and cloaks on the back of the donkey. Jesus gets on the donkey, and when he gets on the donkey, like, everyone goes crazy. Everyone goes wild. This huge crowd has gathered, and everyone's shouting and dancing and singing, and some people are throwing their coats and their cloaks in front of the donkey and some of them are just ripping the trees apart and pulling branches off the trees and waving them in the air you know like they just don't care Uh, and uh, this is the moment really this bizarre really strange Like this is odd right this is when it all kind of falls into place this is the moment it all clicks the unexpected king has come Jesus has finally arrived And that's what this whole strange procession is about. Jesus has finally showed up. He's in the building. Jesus has arrived. And it, it sounds strange, you know, but if you think back over the Gospels, up to this point, everything's been under wraps. The disciples would get excited. Jesus would do something, you know, like a miracle or something. He'd tell some parable, and he'd do something. He'd turn, like, water into wine and something amazing. They'd all get really, really excited. Uh, but Jesus would be like, no, 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 keep it quiet. Shh, don't say anything yet. It's, it's, not, it's not right my time. Or the disciples would come up with some harebrained scheme, and it's like, Jesus, why don't we do this, or why don't we do that? And Jesus would be like, no, 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 guys, not right now. But today is different. Today, Jesus lets everyone sing and dance and treat him like the Messiah that they've been waiting for. Jesus has finally shown up. The long-awaited Messiah is here. Today is the day that Jesus comes to town. And everything for every man, woman, and child, for every generation on the face of the earth from this point on was about to change forever. The story closes in uh, Matthew 21 verses 10 and 11. It says this, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And there's a sort of dramatic um, irony around this whole scene as it unfolds. Who would have thought that the celebration, the festivities of the beginning of Holy Week would reach the darkness and depths of Christ's crucifixion on Good Friday before the glory of his resurrection on Easter Sunday? But right now you've got this huge expectation that's being laid at Jesus' feet in the form of these cloaks and palm fronds and cheers and shouts and dancing and singing. But is he the person that everyone's expecting? You know, there's no doubt that the people are filled with expectation. The Messiah's coming, And he's going to fulfill everything that Passover stands for. You know, remember back to our reflection on Exodus uh, from a few weeks ago. The Messiah's coming and he's going to give us freedom from oppression. Justice will be done at last. God is going to finally intervene. He's going to throw out our our, our enemies the way he did with the Egyptians. And yet in another twist of the upside down nature of the kingdom, while the, the crowds are waiting for someone who would rule with strength and might, Jesus comes as this humble servant. While the crowds are wanting him to finally bring their people glory, Jesus comes to change their hearts uh, so that their lives would bring God glory. While the people were looking to a general who would crush their enemies, Jesus comes saying, love your enemies. While they thought that he would offer them deliverance from their oppressors, Jesus comes offering them deliverance from their sin. And this very same crowd that are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us, save us this very same crowd would very soon realize that Jesus wasn't gonna be quite who they expected. And before anyone's ever realized uh, what it was and that he was exactly what they needed, uh, they turn on him. And what is it that they get? Well, a few days later, Jesus is arrested, he's humiliated, he's beaten by the Romans. This one they call the son of David, their last best hope. Rome decides to make an example of him and crushes him under their feet. And so just a few days later, Jesus is stripped, beaten, and crucified. And what we see in the story of the first Palm Sunday is the difference of expectation between our ways and God's ways. The expectation of what we ask for and what God actually delivers. Uh, Because in this story, there's a paradigm, there's a model for much of our life as followers of Jesus. We pray, save us, Lord, save us. Do this particular Thing could be find me a spouse, let me have a child, um, heal a loved one's condition, help me get a better job, um, let me find the house of my dreams, whatever it may be. And what happens uh, very often, um, quite the opposite happens, and we're still single and we're still childless, and our loved one has actually taken a turn for the worse, and all we seem to get is rejection after rejection. And the house of our dreams well, you know, the sales has fallen through but you see this isn't the end of the story God always hears our prayers and God always answers the prayer Lord save us um, but he does it in a way that for the, this crowd of people gathered that first Palm Sunday and for us gathered here some 2,000 years later it goes far beyond what anyone knew or understood God had something far better in mind so much greater than saving a little first century country from its particular national enemy. God intended that this king would save the entire world and rescue all of humanity from what ultimately oppresses us. And what ultimately oppresses us isn't actually some government. What ultimately oppresses us is not actually the unsatisfactory nature of our lives. What ultimately oppresses us is our determination to do our life our own way, which is effectively what the Bible calls um, sin. Those choices that separate us from God, those things that we do that lead to broken relationships, those choices that we have made that have left us addicted and in bondage to powers and forces too great for us, those actions that are at the root of so many injustices. God sent Jesus into the world to answer the prayer save us but God answered the prayer in a way that was utterly unexpected by us all in Ephesians uh, chapter 3 Paul writes God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ through Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen and it may be that you're in a situation right now where you feel you've been praying and praying and you feel like that you're getting exactly the opposite of what you've sought God for As we consider Jesus this Easter, I'd like us to consider that God may be wanting to grant you something that is immeasurably better than anything you could ask or imagine. The people are crying out, save us. Um, They couldn't imagine that this Jesus truly was going to save them in a way that went far beyond what they were seeking. Uh, God, as we've been seeing this morning, God is good and his purpose for your life is good. whenever we're in a situation where we say, you know, God doesn't seem to be answering. I wonder actually if God cares. I seem to be experiencing the exact opposite of everything I've asked for. Let's try and find ways to look for the ways in which God might be at work, but just in a different way to the ones in which we imagined. Let's look for Jesus riding on a donkey. Let's look for the Jesus who's crucified on a cross. This Easter, let's look for the unexpected king. Make sense? Can we have the band back?